the term delicious energy drink never existed until now. Five-hour energy drink, 16 ounces of first-class delicious. It comes in three flavors, berry, grape, and watermelon. They're all sugar-free, have no artificial colors, lightly carbonated, and of course, they taste amazing. Five-hour energy drink, it's how energy drinks should taste. Try it today at your local Sheets store. Five-hour energy drink, go first-class. Say It Ain't Contagious with Adrian Burgos, Greg Calcaterra, Stephen Goldman, Frank Garitti, Lincoln Mitchell, and Tova Wang. Welcome, everyone, to a new episode of Say It Ain't Contagious, the podcast where we talk about the intersection of baseball, social justice, and politics. I am Craig Calcaterra, and I am joined today, as always, by Tova Wang, Lincoln Mitchell, Frank Garrity, Steve Goldman and the sixth member of our sextet, Adrian Burgos Jr., is on assignment, or at least that's what we're telling everyone. He'll let us know next week what he was doing. It probably wasn't good or wonderful. Speaking of not good or wonderful, sticky stuff. Baseball has a new scandal. Uh, and as is always the case in baseball, when a new scandal comes up, it's because of old news and old business. The old news and old business is that pitchers are doctoring baseballs. They are doing it uh, with a NASA-like precision and technology and NASA just gunk things that hold solid rocket boosters together spider tack a term that no one has thought of at all outside of the world's strongest man competition until this week has burst to the fore is gunk a technical term you learned in that physics phd program you did after law school gunk is a thermodynamics term yeah it's something that we all we all learned at carnegie mellon it's a it's a big thing just checking but, you know, that's the, that's the funny part about all this is baseball players love to to do this whole, I'm just a ball player, I don't know nothing. But it's amazing how scientific they get when they want to change the flight of a baseball. I was struck by something like this. I was talking to my son, who, like many young men of his generation, doesn't really pay a lot of attention to baseball. He does follow a team out in San Francisco. I can't remember what they're called. <laughs> but he was a very good pitcher who pitched briefly in college and then and then stopped. So he loves pitching and things about pitching. So whereas he, you know, he'll say this to me, things out of the blue, like what team did, you know, Lou Gehrig play for or something, but he follows a lot of the technical side of pitching. And like a lot of men of my generation that try to connect with my sons by talking about baseball, because other than that, and kind of left-wing politics, I'm not sure what, what we talk about. But he told me about a month ago, he was telling me that just everyone's doing this, everyone's doing this for years. And, you know, it's been out there for a while. And it's just kind of beginning to really set in because we're seeing the effects of it that we're now we've gone from the three true outcomes to really the, the two and a half two true outcomes. It's, it's interesting to me how this is sort of popped up, because like you said, it's it's not a secret. It's something that's always been going on. And, and I'm not talking about just ball doctoring in general. That's as old as baseball. Spitballs were a thing 150 years ago and were nominally outlawed about 100 years ago. And Gaylord Perry, of course, was around. Everybody knows about that. We're talking a different sort of generation of thing, but but still not new, going a decade, a decade or two of, of, of rosin and sunscreen and other sorts of gunk. Pine tar, probably chief among them. We've had little mini scandals, but it's definitely come to a new level. And I guess one question, I mean, we'll throw it out as a baseball question first, but maybe it's also a, a question as far as just human psyche. Is it a problem now in ways that it wasn't before because offense has gone down overall and now it's just a bridge too far? It's it's gratuitous how much pitchers have an advantage? Or is something changed? Is, is something changed in the game uh, that now makes it a problem? There was a fascinating or actually not fascinating in its way statistic 
that was shown during the broadcast of yesterday's Garrett Cole start against the Twins. And you'll recall that Josh Donaldson called him out as one of the pitchers who does use this stuff. And then Cole was asked whether he used it or not. And he fumbled the answer in truly epic fashion. His previous start, he was not as effective as he had been heretofore. And a great deal was made of the fact that his spin rate was down. Thus, he must have been using less goo. It was all inferential. Gunk versus goo, very close term of art, by the way. We have to distinguish between the two. <laughs> goo may be okay, gunk may not, or vice versa, depending on the day of the week. What about schmutz? <laughs> schmutz is a bridge too far. Don't blame the Jews for this yeah, one. You're right? always doing it. <laughs> but the point being that in the three starts, including the most recent start, the start against the Twins, in which he was generally effective, his RPM on his pitches, which is an amazing thing that we're even talking about it, essentially varied. It was something like 2,500 RPM in the start before the crackdown, maybe 2,350 in the sort of ineffective start in the middle, and about 2,400 last night. And it seems like these are minute differences. So if that's what they're looking for, again, it's it's just one example, and we've maybe got Trevor Bauer too. But if that's the huge difference, a couple of hundred revolutions in terms of his pitches, nothing's going to change. Can I ask? So that to me then suggests the question of why this is coming up now, right? So, you know, how this relates to previous scandals in baseball, we already alluded to the steroid era, you know, scandals and others. And then the, you know, these examples that Craig mentioned, the Gaylord Perry's and other ball doctoring pitchers that were winked at, right? I mean, at least that's my recollection of them. So the question is why now, right? You know, why is it emerging now as a, as an issue when clearly this has been, you know, practiced by pitchers as Garrett Cole said in his fumbling response during the press conference a couple of days ago? Yeah, I... I've been struggling with that. I have all kinds of opinions about how Major League Baseball should deal with it. I have all kinds of opinions about how the media should cover it. I still am struggling with why it's a thing now. And I'm thinking back to more recent, not even scandals, that's too hard of a word, Michael Pineda for the Yankees, uh, you know, he got either ejected or suspended or whatever because he had some pine tar in his neck. And and the issue then was, well, it was too obvious. That's really what it all boiled down to. Everybody does it, but you were just being too obvious about it. And then uh, Clay Buchholz with the Red Sox a few years ago, you know, greasy, wet hair all the time, obviously full of gunk and junk. Well, what's that about? He says it's sunscreen. Well, he's playing in a dome in that particular game. They were playing like Houston or, or Toronto or somebody in a dome. You don't need sunscreen. And, and these things have popped up when it's just become so obvious that we can't pretend it doesn't exist. I think the heart of all this to me is, is it's an embarrassment on baseball's part of we have a rule, uh, we are just openly ignoring it, and no one really cares about it until they start caring about it, and then you all have to fumble, and it's steroids redux. To me, the, the question that emerges, which we sort of posed earlier, which I think is repeating, which is, which is why is this issue, which has been you know known right in the game, emerging now? Or why are we paying so much attention to it now? Is it just because offensive numbers are down, or are there other things at work? Is this a holdover, perhaps, of you know, anxieties after the, you know, the Astros scandal that now MLB has to appear that it's getting tough on players in particular, or what are the issues that are leading this to emerge now? Well, we don't know exactly what the punishments are that are, are going to be imposed, right? That much we don't know yet, right? Well, right now they're trying to avoid it altogether, I think. They're putting it on the umpires, right? Yeah, sort of. And But what they're putting on the umpires is also 
much lighter than something they could do. There was a report out when they first announced a little over a week ago, as we're recording here on the crackdown, that they are trying to avoid situations of suspensions because they don't want to get into issues with the players union. They're talking about not even doing ejections, like asking umpires to remove gloves or balls or hats from play, which they've done a few times if it's determined that there's you know gunk on them, which is not really a robust enforcement mechanism. Well, then what the hell is even new? It's in the media. That's what's new. Oh, come on. What's new is that as in the PED era, every accomplishment during this period will have a psychological asterisk. We know there's no real asterisk in the rule, but but everyone will say, well, so-and-so only struck out so many batters because of X or because of Y. And that is the nature of baseball in the last 30 years. Except that this has been a rule on the books since forever that you cannot use a foreign substance. Right. And as in the PED era, the PED crackdown happened not because players were using PEDs. It was celebrated when Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire did it, right? It happened for other reasons. It happened when, frankly, the surly African-American guy was just too good. And that that was really a driver of that. The real change in the PED thing was in 2002, when within weeks of each other, Ken Caminiti and then Jose Canseco both gave interviews saying, this is a big problem and we're going to talk about it. Caminiti was out by then, but power hitters of some renown inside the game, as opposed to some you know, horn room glasses wearing reporter started making this an issue and it became a media issue that had legs and there were Sports Illustrated stories and people starting to go on it because even though these reporters knew about it for years, oh, we can talk about it now because there are players talking about it. I mean, is this the same situation? Because it was coming out from a couple of different players and bits and pieces. It came out from Trevor Bauer. Trevor Bauer is the, you know, uh, he's the genius of baseball. Heartbreaking. The worst person you know has made a, a, a great point. But Jose Canseco was not exactly beloved by the media and the fans when he made this, too. And he was the person who I think spoke the most truth, most truth about this issue. Exactly. You know, only Nixon can go to China and only guys that aren't really well liked in the game will will break the code of silence from from locker rooms. And. I think that what we're seeing in the last couple of weeks, there was a big story in The Athletic, and then there was a big story in Sports Illustrated, and that's what's kind of driving this conversation. Major League Baseball always reacts. They never are proactive. And if they don't have to react, they won't. But now they sort of have to. But as you said, in the wake of the PED and the Astros scandal, you have to imagine that part of this is also wanting to seem like they are willing to crack down on something because they, they just haven't in the past. Yeah. So here's what's interesting. I think I'm the only one talking about this in the last week that I've seen in baseball media. In 2019, the Los Angeles Angels fired their clubhouse manager, the visiting clubhouse manager, a guy named Brian Harkins. And they fired him because they said he was providing foreign substances to pitchers. They would ask him ahead of time, hey, we're going to be in Anaheim in a couple of weeks. Can you get some of that goo for me? Thanks a lot. And they fired him for that. Isn't that the Garrett Cole thing that they, they've had text messages or something? Yeah, the text messages from Garrett Cole. And so what happened, this all came out because Harkin sued. Harkin sued the Angels right. saying he was singled out. He was improperly terminated. And as part of his motion to avoid dismissal of his lawsuit, he filed, he presented all these text messages, some from Garrett Cole, some from some other people in baseball, clearly and openly talking about using these substances. Uh, That legally didn't carry the day. The suit was dismissed. Except that this has been a rule on the books since forever that you cannot use a foreign substance. But that's what happened. And when that termination happened in 2019, and then the lawsuit happened in 2020, my speculation on it was 
he was fired because Major League Baseball and the Angels wanted to get out in front of a scandal instead of be caught flat-footed with a scandal like they were with the sign-stealing thing. Uh, it ended up not happening because they just sort of dropped it other than you know fighting that lawsuit. I find it interesting that Brian Harkin's name hasn't come up very often because they very clearly tried to scapegoat an equipment manager and nothing came of it. It also strikes me, you know, Steve, you mentioned something a few minutes ago about how the difference in the RPMs is basically marginal, negligible. And because of the way that baseball players are scouted, recruited, drafted, whatever, where they are in their development, that's the nature of the game, right? The nature of the game is that if you have a few more RPMs, you're going to get promoted to the next net level. You're going to get recruited, et cetera. And that is so that these little margins matter. And again, it's a real shift in the game. This is the same pitching culture where every spring we're surprised that so many pitchers get injuries. It's the same dynamic. And again, you know, I don't know that there's an answer to this, but it does speak to the, the creation of a product that's not as appealing. Well, I mean, there, there are a lot of aspects to that, right? There are so many things going on in baseball right now that contribute to that product, the nature of it. It's not just pitchers using gunk or goo or what have you. It's a whole lot of other stuff, too. In part, it's roster construction. It's the way that teams like the Rays have pioneered the idea of the opener, where essentially you have five to literally nine pitchers in a game going all out one inning at a time. And baseball has not addressed what is an evolution in the way players are used that may be contrary to the best version of the game. And the causality is non-recursive, right? So the strategy leads to the three, two outcomes, which leads to more pitchers on the pitching staff, which leads to not caring if a guy gets injured, which leads to those players knowing how easily they can be replaced, pushing themselves and doing anything to get a few more RPMs. And it just the, the, the hole gets into which baseball digs itself with regard to the product gets deeper. Well, those last three guys on the pitching staff are totally fungible. And when you have deep systems where you can count on everyone being capable of throwing 95 for an inning at a time, and that, that might be slightly hyperbolic, but it's not crazy hyperbolic. This stuff is easier to understand. I mean, th- this is more under baseball's control to do something about that is very easy to, for the fans and everybody else to understand. And if they can seem like they're doing something about this, at least they're doing something about the imbalance. Well, but they're going about it in a way that is crazy because, and I think Craig's been great about pointing this out too, it's arbitrary and they're not articulating a clear guideline. They're repeating all of Bud Selig's mistakes that he made in the time of the PEDs thing and the, and the Mitchell report. What would have been smart And I wrote about this at the time. So this is a first guess. And it's one of the few things that Judge Landis did that was bright and rational at the time that he came in over 100 years ago. Because after he dealt with the Black Sox, other guys, in part to settle scores, kept coming forward and saying, oh, you think you dealt with gambling? (laughs) Ha ha, you think you dealt with game fixing? Here I have a list of games that I participated in. Chick Gandel actually came back and did that. One of the architects of the Black Sox scandal said, you didn't clear it all up. Let me indict the following half dozen names. And after a while, Landis said, and I think this is correct. Look, I don't want to know if you if you if you got away with it back then before I was here. Great. You got away with it. 
going forward, I'm going to destroy you if you do it. But it's grandfathered. We don't care. And that's what had to happen with steroids. They had to say, rather than stigmatize individual players so that they took the greatest players and the greatest seasons of the 1990s and basically told people they were imaginary stories. They were the infamous episode of Dallas where one character wakes up and and the last year of the show was just a dream, right? That's what Sosa and McGuire and Bonds were. And that's a terrible thing to do to your audience. You can never earn that back. But what they really needed to say was, hey, we didn't have a clear standard. Everything was great, but we didn't love the way it was. Going forward, this is how it's going to be. Here's our list. And this is what they have now. Here's our list of approved substances. Here's our list of disapproved substances. And that's what they need. Instead of sitting there and going Trevor Bauer or Garrett Cole or whoever and pointing fingers and implicating the whole product, just say, if it happened last month, we don't want to know about it. It's over. Going forward, you can use this kind of goo, but you can't use that kind of gunk. And that's it. And you're done. Do we see that coming? And in effect, that's what, you know, Craig wrote about this in his newsletter today that, you know, like some version of this argument you would think could be made easily by the commissioner. No, they won't, because this particular commissioner was Bud Selig's primary hatchet man in the PED thing. The final big chapter of that was the biogenesis scandal. Rob Manfred was the quarterback on that. And he did all manner of things that were specifically designed to make sure that those 13 players names were front and center and stigmatized in the story and that anything else that flowed into it was not the story. And that pleased Bud Selig, who was the, you know, the architect of the Mitchell report, which was designed again to stigmatize certain players and to make them the story as opposed to the systemic failures. And that's really the issue here. We're turning something that is a systemic failure of major league baseball, having rules, not enforcing them, making them dead letters and allowing cheating to flourish and we're turning it into a gotcha game, which the media loves. And Major League Baseball knows that the media loves this because it's a great story to say so-and-so was caught and here's the video. And now we can push video impressions, too, for our media ecosystem. That's the person who is bad because it's very hard and it's very boring to talk about systemic failures. But this is why Peter Alonso's claim is interesting, right? The Mets player, right, who who basically said, I, I don't have the exact quote in front of me, like, but yeah, they, they've been doctoring baseballs to ensure that you know, players can't ask for more money at free agency time, particularly hitters. His quote was, the biggest concern is MLB manipulating the baseballs year in and year out, depending on the free agency class. Oh, no, it's a fact. Yes, guys have talked about it. It's not a coincidence. It's definitely something that they did. This is fascinating. And just to clarify for listeners, what he's arguing is that in years where the free agent crop is likely to be mostly pitchers, they make it easier to hit home runs. So pitchers aren't going into free agencies with, you know, really low ERAs. And in years when it's hitters, they make it harder so that they're, you know, they're on base percentage, slugging percentage, OPS, whatever is not as high as it might be. What strikes me about this is that it seems like it's actually pretty tough to implement that. But it, 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 Craig, you mentioned this. It speaks to a level of distrust, but it also speaks to an environment. I mean, when I teach about my political science class about uh, the media, I, I assign that clip of uh, Rudy Giuliani telling Chuck Todd, and I won't imitate his voice, his malicious voice, truth isn't truth. And the reason I do that is because of what I tell my students is that, look, as I said on the show, I hated Rudy Giuliani way before it was cool, having done opposition research against him, you know, in 93. But he's onto something there. Craig, the second half of that quote is really telling. It's true. Guys are talking about it. Guys are talking about it is not, paraphrase Casey Stengel, guys are talking about it ain't proof. But in 2021, it kind of is. Especially when it's ballplayers, because if you heard half the things that ballplayers talk about that they will swear is true, it would just make your head spin. 
Uh, but it's funny that he, you know, not funny, but it's interesting. That quote from Alonzo and bringing up that subject was in response to a question about pitchers doctoring baseball. So not only was it the the espousing of a theory that is dubious at best, but is telling in a certain way, it was a sidestepping. It was basically, we don't even care about that nearly as much as we care about these other things. Guys should be in politics, you know, to be able to... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> you can point him in another direction and answer the question he wants to. <laughs> Except I think here he's being honest. It's not like, oh, I don't want to talk about that. It's like, I, honestly, I am more pissed about this than than I am about, you know, the pitchers or whatever. Because, you know, say what you want about Pete Alonso. I, I generally do think he's a genuine guy. <laughs> he's going to be played by Gene Hackman in the 1976 adaptation, uh, the paranoid thriller Three Days of the Ball Boy, I believe. <laughs> Tova, I wanted to ask you about this, too, because I, I saw something from one of the political bloggers. I like political science professor named Scott Lemieux, who's over at Lawyers, Guns and Money. And the absence of a bright line rule here, as with steroids, gets us in trouble. And he was talking about Rucho versus Common Cause, which was the Supreme Court decision which said that gerrymandering is beyond the reach of federal courts. And he was riffing on the idea that Republican state legislatures could now just assign their electoral votes to whichever candidate they wanted to, regardless of how the popular vote went. And the kind of joke that that he used was, and this was just a few days ago, he said gerrymandering is horrible for many reasons. But one of them is that if it's perfectly legal to steal elections ex ante, it becomes hard to explain why you shouldn't also be willing to steal them ex post. And I, I felt like that kind of had a had some resonance here because again you're you're trying to accuse people after a long period of non-enforcement and the norms have eroded essentially. Well, I mean there are a lot of analogies to be made here. I mean the ways in which Republican legislatures are imposing all these voter restriction racist laws to prevent people from voting is also attempt to I mean if you believe Pete Alonso, but it's attempt to mess the system up in order to win rather than to win because you have the best ideas or you have the best candidates or anything like that. It's all about having a grievance that the game is rigged against you. Look, I mean, in elections and voting and all that kind of stuff, there are all sorts of rules that are not enforced, laws that are not enforced that people you know run rampant with and and nothing happens. <laughs> this is a little in the weeds, but I was struck this week by there was an article about the FEC that's supposed to be enforcing the campaign finance laws, and they have a 3-3 split between Republicans and Democrats on the commission. So nothing ever gets decided and nobody ever gets punished. And it's not that there aren't laws in place, but they, everybody knows they're never enforced. Everybody knows that nothing's going to happen to them except the slap on the wrist fine, you know, years after the election. And so everyone does it. One thing that strikes me is that this scandal, like the PEDs, is different than what the Astros were accused of. And that's also different than the Republicans who are putting an infrastructure in place to steal elections going forward. Because this changes the nature of the game. But it's if it's as widespread as a lot of people believe, it's not really changing outcomes in that way. It's just making the product less attractive. If only the pitchers on the Yankees were doing this, it would be a different situation, but that's not the sense I get. Oh, but some guys are clearly better at it than others, no? I think a lot of the guys who are better, just like Barry Bonds. Barry Bonds was a great home run hitter. If everyone wasn't on steroids, he was you know, the greatest player in the game. So it kind of makes everyone the way they were, only more so. Well, and it's not just some players are better than others. Some clubs are better than others. There was a, a story from Rick Garoli of The Athletic. I think it was out this morning. I've lost track of the day. It's been a long day for me. 
but she writes, it's mostly an opinion piece, but she's a reporter. And I don't think she writes this passage without having some information about it. Quote, cutting edge organizations, several of whom employ actual chemists, had found the perfect sticky formula and the league had handed them an even better baseball for pitchers to manipulate. And then she says that beginning of the season, when the league first made its first faint at, at cracking down on this, they said what they would do is they were going to monitor spin rates. And if pitchers had suddenly spikes in their spin rates, that's going to be evidence, or at least prima facie evidence of doctoring baseballs. And they're going to use that as a means of finding probable cause or whatever. But she says that many organizations already a step ahead continued to implement sticky substances at all levels so as to avoid a pitcher having a suspicious uptick when he reaches the big leagues. Oh my God. So they are training these guys at minors and actually it wouldn't even been the minors. It would have been at these camps that they've had the last year or two uh, training camps until May where they are, you know, giving these guys plausible deniability. This is an institutionalized problem. This isn't about Gaylord Perry trying to hide his stuff. Is it really the case, I'm asking this honestly, that, you know, the the uh, White Sox and Astros are doing this, but the Red Sox and Blue Jays are not? I doubt it, no. This is how it is now. I'm sure there's an unevenness as to quality, but I'm sure everybody's on it. It's just like with analytics. Some some data departments are better than others. You know, there's probably somebody that is the goo guru and uh, is better at it with one team than another. Well, they did suspend a few minor leaguers on this as sort of a some kind of weird test run, I guess. Well, it's because they're not unionized. They're not covered by the union. Oh, for real. Is it true. the goo guru or the schmutz shaman? Could you clarify that please? quick? <laughs> <laughs> Life gets more magical when you dream. So dream of a Disney cruise filled with magic and wonder. <laughs> Hiya, pal! Sail from Florida to Disney's private island paradise and get ready for a dream come true with Disney Cruise Line. I want to ask a question again. I'm still stuck on the why now. So... What effect is doctoring the baseball happening? It's let's assume it's happening in mass on the product. Uh, so the, the the effect is more strikeouts, pitchers uh, scores, uh, home runs are down, scores are lower, and that we'd rather have twenty to nineteen games like within two thousand, watching Bonds hit five homers in a game and McGuire hit ten, and, you know, like that. So that product is better, I guess. Is that what we're saying, or like what's the what's the effect of the product in this case? Less action. That's why I think that they're taking this action rather than a million others that they could is because this is something that they can do that is very visible, that they can, is under their control to some degree, and that they can say that they're cracking down on. And also because they are not happy with the product, that there is not enough offense, that there are a million strikeouts and then a couple of home runs a game. And this is something they can appear to be doing to balance things a little bit more. I remember the late 90s, there was an actual ad campaign, Chicks Dig the Long Ball. Oh, yeah. Greg Maddox and Tom Glavin. Right. Do you remember that? Yes. You know, and I think that was, you know, the kind of sexist language, notwithstanding, it was a way of saying that home runs are exciting. And whereas I don't think anyone wants the 2019 game, baseball has always searched for this medium, right? Is, you know, and, and, and every fan would have a different idea of what that happy medium is. But not only is the, you know, Sandy Koufax or, or Nolan Ryan or, you know, uh, Max Scherzer going out there every now and then and striking out 15 batters is exciting. But it's 15 strikeout game with four pitchers, two of whom won't be on the roster in a week. That's, I think, the product that they want to get away from. And that's where this is leading. The a million uh, no hitters in a month. Right. But we have plenty of home runs, don't we? We don't have a lot of singles and doubles. That's what we need. 
Yeah, the issue is is action, not necessarily offense. And it's you know it's the reason why they're talking about rules changes, moving the mound back, doing all sorts of things, is because balls in play. And when you have this doctored baseball, that just increases strikeouts, and you don't have balls in play. So it's not necessarily the runs level; it's, it's just the action. It means you don't have good defense, right? Yep. You don't have fun base running plays. The way I I often describe this is: think of when you were a kid playing baseball. You know, if, if you were fortunate enough to do that growing up. The things that made baseball fun was not standing at first base in my case or another position in someone else's case and watching the pitcher strike out the side, right? The things that made baseball fun was when the ball was hit to you or hit to another infielder who threw it to you. It was not fun while hoping a teammate would hit a home run. It was fun even if you didn't hit a home run. Maybe you got to walk and stole second. In my case, maybe you got caught stealing second. Like that's that's stuff that makes baseball fun and there's less of that. I would have loved no action baseball when I played because I was the worst defensive outfielder in the history of little league baseball. <laughs> Please don't hit it to me. I said, I love pitching. I love pitching. I don't mind one, nothing games. I'd much rather see a, a virtuosic pitcher pitch eight innings and nine innings rather than watch, you know, nine pitchers go through each inning. I mean, that's not interesting. You're right. But, it's but not that's what special. we have. That's that, what we have. It's exactly. become not special to see that. This and it's, it's the same thing with basketball, which is a sport. I don't watch when I, whenever I sit down and watch basketball, what strikes me is that every game is decided in the last two minutes. And if one of every five games is decided in the last two minutes, it's exciting. If every game is decided in the last two minutes, it feels like kind of a construct. That's not really the problem in basketball. But, I mean, they have their own problems that other folks have talked about. There have been plenty of blowouts in basketball. But I see, I see your point. That's the same problem with the home runs, too. If you remember, I think it was game five of the 2019-2017 World Series, which was the, the uh, Astros and the Dodgers, from like the seventh inning on, the score went back and forth, and I think the game ended up something like 13-12, and it was the Astros homered, and then the Dodgers homered, and the Astros homered, and the Dodgers homered, and the Astros, and nothing else happened. And it's like, you know, we all have that moment when we're kids, when we learn that too much of something we like is a bad thing. Like, you know, you, you like buttered bread. I did this when I was a little kid. So the first time I was old enough to sneak into the fridge by myself, I like really buttered a piece of bread. Yeah, I thought it was icing. <laughs> Yeah, it could be that too, right? One slice of cake is great. I like the frosting example. For better. me, it was celery. I like a stalk of celery, but I ate like six stalks of that celery. That explains a lot. Indeed it does. <laughs> <laughs> I guess everyone has their own version. So really, so what's at stake here? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Not to be the cynic. I'm going to I'm gonna harness Pete Alonso here. Uh, what's at stake here is aesthetics. That's what Major League Baseball is about. I mean, really? Come on. No, Quality. I, how how could you not see this as let me be the conspiracy theorist here as just to, you know set the stage for the labor battles to come that this is a way again for the commissioner to kind of look like that they're getting tough although again I guess they're doing this in response to the media reporting but clearly some disciplinary action has to happen at some point no I think there's a secondary thing on the labor stuff I don't think there's some grand scheme that we're going to turn the ball doctoring thing into an anti-labor position. But I think, okay, the ball doctoring thing happens. What can we do with it? And I'm sure someone at Major League Baseball has realized it'd be a really nice story to have that all the baseball players are a bunch of unrepentant cheaters as we have to go out and fight things in the media. And if we could create a new fake bargaining chip here of, well, okay, well, we'll give you that thing on service time, but we need to have some serious rules here about, you know, a ball doctoring that we really don't care about, but we're going to posture and say we do. So I think in response to what's been going on, Major League Baseball, it's in its interest to turn this into the parlor game of who's cheating and aren't those players horrible and to move away from the story of it being a systemic problem. 
But Craig, that reminds me of Heinrich Himmler at the end of World War II saying, I'm going to negotiate the surrender with the Allies and they're going to keep me around because they need me. Like he vastly overplayed his hand, given that he was like an all time great war criminal. And this is exactly the same as Rob Manfred or, or his henchman apparently saying, we'll offer them the DH one additional part-time job on a, on a team and they'll give us 18 round playoff games and or playoff series. And that was nuts. And the players didn't go for it. Why should this have any material impact on the negotiations in the, over this winter? I don't know that it'll have a material impact, but I do know that between the league and the union, the league is much more interested in putting its positions through the media. It uses Ken Rosenthal. It uses Jeff Passan. It uses a bunch of other league-friendly reporters to put its positions out there. Buster Olney is another one. Not that I'm going to play favorites here, but the league is going to want to have stories out there as the fall turns into winter and negotiations get serious in which it's all viewed as far more complicated. So when they lock the players out in January, which I think they will do, they could say it's not just us and financial and pocketbook issues. We've got a whole bunch of stuff going on and those players' hands aren't clean either, literally. So you think that's the actual genesis of this whole thing? I don't think it's the genesis. No, I just think that they're using this as an opportunity. You think they're that smart? I think they're smart enough to take something and say, how can we play this in our favor? I don't think they're smart enough to orchestrate a big thing and say, we're going to do this thing and make it play in our favor later. No, and this plays to their wheelhouse, which is exactly that, finding ways to portray the, the players in a certain way. It's a message they've been hitting on for you know as long as I've been a baseball fan. I agree with Frank. I don't think that the, that the MLB leadership got together and said, we need to stop this because the product isn't good. But I, as a fan... I would say that that is the effect of this. It is part of one of the, the many causes of a product that for me is is less enjoyable and perhaps other fans feel that way as well. I mean, do the pitchers have an argument that the rug is being pulled out from under them all of a sudden in the middle of everything when they've been used to this their whole pitching lives? I think they do to the extent that enforcement and crackdown, however it manifests itself, is perceived as uneven and oblique which I think that's where we're sort of heading. Because what we saw in the last week was, you know, Trevor Bauer had a bad performance, then Garrett Cole had a bad performance, and then there's all this talk, well, maybe that bad performance was because they didn't use the stuff in that game because now they're worried about a crackdown, but other guys had great performances with 13 strikeouts, and maybe they're not so worried. And and I don't know if that's true, but it's one of those things where if we have a situation where pitchers don't know if they should do it or not, because maybe the other guys are doing it, maybe we won't have an advantage, then yeah, I think it's going to cause problems. I think if Major League Baseball said tomorrow, like Steve suggested, this is what we're going to do going forward. You get to use rosin and sunscreen and that's it. I think some would grumble because their stat line wouldn't look as good, but at least everybody would be on the same page. Why don't they do that? I was also struck by Dave Roberts responding to all this. I guess it was in the midst of the Bauer thing saying, I think that cheating is more when rules are imposed, are in place, and you break them. It got a lot of mockery at first, because there is a rule. <laughs> <laughs> no, but he's he gets to the point that I was trying to make earlier, which is they knew that they could get away with it. It was never enforced. Like in many things, why wouldn't they do it then? Um, and now all of a sudden, they, they can't. I mean, like you know, many other situations... I mean, you know from the law, there are certain things, jaywalking, right? People assume that they're not going to, in certain cities, ever pay a penalty for jaywalking. And then all of a sudden, there's a, this crackdown. I mean, this goes back to the unwritten rules, right? There are a lot of places where there are rules in place that are never really acted upon. And then it, it must seem to them like all of a sudden, 
one of their tools is, is being taken away. I'm not siding with the pitchers at all. I don't, you know, I don't think it's a good thing, but. And there will be pitchers who are undone by this. And there, there's a historic example in that when the spitball and the shine ball and the emery ball were all banned around 1920, about a half dozen major league pitchers were grandfathered in because it seemed unfair to deprive them of what was their main pitch. Guys like Burley Grimes were known as spitballers. However, there was a fellow named Frank Schellenbach who had been up in 1918 and 1919, and he was a spitballer. That was his primary pitch. However, he'd been demoted in 1920, so he was not included on the grandfather list. And then he developed into an ace in the Pacific Coast League, Lincoln's favorite league. He won 315 games in the PCL, but he could not be brought back because he would have been deprived of his weapon. So you're absolutely right. There's there's no doubt that there will be some pitchers who, without having glue, will not be able to pitch at the same level and will fall out of the game. And that's unfortunate, but that's the situation that they created. Well, a couple of points here. My understanding is that you still are allowed to doctor the ball in cricket. So if, if the Major League Baseball doesn't work out for Garrett Cole or Trevor Bauer, <laughs> there might be other options. But it also strikes me that, once again, baseball is, is stepping on their own story here. The story should be all the great young players, right? right the story should right. be a surprising season where some teams, the same storylines of every year, and instead we're getting another story that is saying, I mean, baseball has this mission to just constantly tell the American people that, yeah, we're, we, got a, we got a whole lot of problems, not really sure why you should be paying attention to us. And this isn't helpful. If the MLB had taken Stevens' approach, the Judge Landis' approach, and done it with a statement, with discussions with the teams, and not by doing it this way. And I don't, before the season began. And I don't know if you're a – some people might like Garrett Cole, some might not. But seeing this professional athlete humiliating himself, like, like okay, maybe if you're just kind of a hateful person, you think it's funny or something. But it's not good for the game. It, it's not the kind of thing that we need. And we don't need more of that. Tova, you asked earlier, well, why don't they just do that? And And I think the reason goes to just the nature of – baseball ownership and baseball's commissioner. I harp on this all the time, usually when it's dealing with pocketbook issues, but it, it, it affects this as well. The commissioner of baseball is an employee of the 30 owners. The 30 owners now, more than ever, are divorced from the game of baseball, or at least alienated from the game of baseball. It's just not the primary interest for a great many of them. Liberty Media owns the Atlanta Braves, and the owner of Liberty Media, the CEO of Liberty Media, said to a bunch of shareholders a year or two ago that the Braves started off really terribly and someone said, are they going to do okay? And the guy said, well, let's remember, we're going to do fine. The Braves are not just a baseball team. We're also a real estate company. He actually said that. Wow. There are owners who think that way. Mark Walter has a lot more things on his plate than running the Los Angeles Dodgers. I forget the name of the guy Johnson with the Giants. Charles Johnson is a schmuck. Yeah, he's a schmuck. And he's more worried about getting some weirdos elected to some weird congressional seats than he is about the Giants. So when an issue comes up, Rob Manfred's action is, can I do something about this that will not jeopardize my position with my employers, the 30 owners? Which, by the way, not all of them are a fan of his. Bud Selig had pretty unanimous support from the 30 owners because he was one of them once. Uh, Rob Manfred has a faction that doesn't like him very much, including Jerry Reinsdorf, including a few other people. George Steinbrenner never was a big, big Selig fan. No, but he came around and then he started to he started to ease out of it and his sons were, were big fans. But So the idea is... Why will Rob Manfred expend any capital if it's not going to please his employers, do anything for them, 
or if it may antagonize them. And I think that's the question that's asked every single time when something comes up. They think it costs them nothing when Garrett Cole is embarrassed during a press conference. It costs them more if you have to do things like make rule changes and do kinds of other stuff that causes Rob Manfred to have to exercise power. Well, we're talking about just interpreting the rule in a clearer way than it has been before. And if they really are interested in having more offensive play, whether it's, you know, it's running the bases or whatever, and they think this is a way to get at that, then why would the owners object? To having a better rule, a clearer rule or interpretation of the rule. Like, I don't know, maybe this is a law and then this is a directive. I mean, if you want to do something, it's, it's a little bit of a gray area here now because there is a rule on the books. But if you change a rule or if you make a major interpretational change to a rule, there is an argument to be made that the union has to be involved in that. Certainly, if you make a new rule, the union has to be, be, or, you know, baseball has the right to unilaterally implement something for one year, but that it has to get agreement from the union, or it has to, from the outset, get agreement with the union. It's a little bit of a gray area on what you do on enforcement of a rule that's been a dead letter for a long time. And anytime you have to interact with the union, I'm thinking of, if I'm Rob Manfred, anytime I have to interact with the union or get their sign off on anything, I am losing some political capital because that's a negotiation. And to get something, I have to give something. That's just the nature of the, the interaction, the relationship between the two sides these days. There's really no cooperative ground there. So if I could do something that avoids dealing with the union, I will, which is why all of those weird rules experiments that are going on in the minor leagues are happening right now. Those are all aimed at increasing action, uh, limiting strikeouts, all that sort of stuff. And you could do it in the Atlantic League and you could do it with the minors because you don't have to go through the union for that. And so they're starting that way. And to the extent they do anything major with the doctored ball rule, they're going to have to talk to Tony Clark. And they don't want to do it. Then you can imagine how a, a Pete Alonso is thinking the way he is if, if they're that nefarious about what they do. And um, also, if it's so hard to enforce or change rules, then they play games with policies that aren't rules, but they're very impactful, like doctoring the ball. Yes. And that brings us back to the political end of it, right? I mean, what we're we're seeing is in a system without umpires, and I don't mean the guys behind home plate, but more broadly speaking, without objective enforcement of, of rules as opposed to partisan enforcement of the rules, the system breaks down. So, oh, but I thought I thought judges were supposed to be calling balls and strikes. <laughs> so is, is, that was my understanding. Is Rob Manford Joe Manchin or Mitch McConnell? That's what oh, yeah. So far, we've compared him to uh, what? Brett Himmler. Himmler. Or you did. We, 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 really buy into, I don't, we don't do reducto at Himmler. Among I must show. say I did a little bit of a double take when that name came up. <laughs> this is basically the same conclusion we reached when we finished the unwritten rules discussion, which is in a situation where order's breaking down, there's no sort of sense of shared anything, and that everything's a cold calculation, which it sounds like this is the, uh, the um, conclusion we're reaching this week. Next week, our special guest will be Andrew Yang, and we'll be discussing the Mets and Gray's Papaya. <laughs> For my money, Times Square is the best subway station. But anyway. <laughs> We cannot get into New York City politics again for the sake of our <laughs> listeners. <laughs> No, that's not, it's actually boring, unfortunately. It's not boring, but... It was the current chief justice who made the balls and strikes comment, right? In his confirmation. Yes. Exactly yes. so. Yes. Exactly so. And, and, and as we know, there are no Republican and no Democrat judges. Can we just have a special shout out to the complete <laughs> moron in Southern California who overturned the assault weapons ban and said the AK-47 is a handy weapon like a Swiss Army knife. <laughs> That's an interesting interpretation of the Second Amendment. Yeah, yeah. We should give all of these MAGA people Swiss Army knives. Oh, dear God. They have court screws to open their, uh, you know, warrants.
one other point, it's not just uh, dealing with Tony Clark, by the way, if you want to start enforcing it even more with umpires, the rule as it is on the books through the, the comments and interpretations and historical interpretation is that umpires don't have the authority to say, hey, I saw you put something on the ball, you're out of here. Doesn't work that way. It has to be brought to their attention by an opposing manager. You might remember the 2006 World Series with the Cardinals and the uh, Tigers. Who was it, Kenny Rogers? Yes. That was hilarious. Yeah, Kenny Rogers with the Tigers. Tony LaRusso came out and pointed it out. He had pine tar in his hand. And so the thing is, if Rob Manford said tomorrow, henceforth, umpires now have to do this. Well, there's an umpires union too. It's not as strong, but it's there. Is there room for them to say, I, you know, I don't, I haven't looked at the rule book in a while, but in other worlds, you can have an interpretive rule that says this is the definition of a foreign substance. They have that in the rule book. Okay. So what is the definition of a foreign substance? Anything. <laughs> okay. That's helpful. Yeah, seriously. It's like anything that's like not on the baseball or a rubbed up mud from the baseball. To get any sort of consensus across the league, there will have to be something what Steve mentioned. Like if, if Manfred was going to stand up and lead and say, henceforth, here's what we're going to do, there probably would be some allowable substance because pitchers and hitters kind of agree, at least on a basic level, that we'd like pitchers to have some better grip than they get. Guys are throwing a lot faster now, a lot harder now. They don't want to get hit in the head. Yeah, they don't want to get hit in the head. I mean, we saw this last weekend. Again, there was a, a pitcher that got popped in the nose by Vince Velasquez of the uh, Phillies. And it was attributed generally to Velasquez didn't have this kind of grip because he didn't admit it, but he all but admitted it that he didn't ha use the stuff. So something would have to be out there. So you're interpreting something new uh, by, by making an allowable substance. So that's a change of a rule. And then if you're going to have the umpires enforce it, that's putting a new responsibility on a unionized workforce that probably doesn't want it because they don't want to be in the middle of it. As they famously say, they don't want their asses to be in the jackpot. So there is all manner of complication here. Life gets a lot more magical when you dream. So let's dream of a vacation unlike any other. A magical Disney cruise. <laughs> Hiya, pal! Where new stories meet tales as old as time. Enchanté, mon ami! And your family will be cared for the moment you step aboard. Sail from Florida to Disney's private island paradise and get ready for a dream come true with Disney Cruise Line. In defense of the umpires, and you know, I think of myself as a reasonably pro-union person, that's a totally legitimate position for them to have. Oh, yeah. You have these billionaire owners. They don't want to deal with it. They have a players who make more money than umpires or managers even. So you're putting the lowest paid person. This is a country where people are getting death threats for suggesting that vaccines stop you from getting COVID, right? There's a lot of craziness out there. I don't blame the umpires for not wanting that. Wasn't Joe West involved in this thing somehow? Where was of Joe course. West in all of this? Uh, he took away somebody's hat or glove a couple of weeks ago on the Cardinals, and it caused Cardinals manager to give a very vocal and frank statement after the game about everybody's doing this. We all know we're doing this. We can't now start enforcing it half-assed or whatever. And that, that also put this at the top of everybody's list uh, when uh, Mike Schilt did that a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, again, put yourself in the umpire position. There's always this idea, too, that as the games get more leverage, we're going to have a little bit more, you know, lax rule enforcement. It's one thing to toss a pitcher or to take his glove away or something in June. But what if it's game six of the NLCS? You know, what if the umpire 
clearly sees that there's some ball doctrine going on, but are you really going to eject Clayton Kershaw or are you really going to eject Garrett Cole in a huge, important game? Not that the Yankees are going to make the ALCS, but... Excuse me? Yeah, sorry, they're not. Anyway. Well, it's not obvious a third-place team will either. <laughs> <laughs> what if Kevin Gausman is still pitching like Sandy Koufax this time in October for some reason that we don't know? He won't need his glove. <laughs> <laughs> Think about the the Pine Tar game in 1983, by the way, which is a great example of a rule being arbitrarily enforced in that Billy Martin noticed or somebody notified Billy Martin, it might have been Greg Nettles or Don Zimmer or somebody, that there was way too much Pine Tar according to the rules on George Brett's bat. He hits a home run, the home run is negated, and George Brett, and you can watch the film of this, has to be restrained from murdering an umpire or three but reasonably in a certain sense, because this was just a, an arbitrary thing, even though it was in the in the rules, no one had ever brought it up before. And he had been using the, the same bats before. So you do. It's really important, I think, in all systems, whether in baseball or anywhere else. Then again, with Joe Biden's infrastructure negotiations, not so much. But I mean, to get all the stakeholders involved on the same page. Now, again, when that's not functionally possible with infrastructure negotiations, I don't know what you do. But in any case, you don't want that. And that's what the umpires don't want. It's why pitch clocks have never worked. Umpires have been told repeatedly enforce pitch clocks and players get very hostile and they decide it's not worth it. And there's also this culture in baseball. Of the, I mean, that famous George Brett home run of the pine tar incident, my view was, I mean, yes, it was a rule that was enforced. It was on the books. They noticed it this time and they did something like there's a kind of a culture of baseball that that's, that's part of almost like the fun of it of outsmarting your opponent. I don't know that people in Kansas city saw it that way. I think that's right. I will say that the pine tar game gave me a great childhood memory because in 1984, we visited Gaylord Perry at his home because my dad was very nosy and looked him up in his first season as not a major league player. And we visited Gaylord Perry at his home and he gave my mother a shirt commemorating the pine tar game because Gaylord Perry. You're kidding. I know this actually happened. That's awesome. We had lunch with Gaylord Perry and his wife. And he gave my mom a shirt. I think I love your father. I know you have a weird relationship with him, but... No, he's, he's a great guy in some ways. But uh, yeah, we just called up Gaylord Perry, went to the house. He was bored. He, it was his first summer not playing baseball since his whole life. And he gave my mom a shirt commemorating the Pine Tar game. My mom didn't know what this was, so my brother and I had to explain it to her. Gaylord Perry is the one who tried to steal George Brett's bat and get it off the field so it couldn't be inspected by the, the league later. And my dad asked him, so did you do that because the bat was dirty? And Perry said, absolutely. And then my brother, who was like 13 at the time, said, and you were doctoring balls all the time too, huh? And Gaylord Perry said, oh yeah, I was. <laughs> oh my God, that's fantastic. But Gaylord Perry doctoring the balls is another kind of fascinating riff on this thing of the rules. It was part of the fun of the game for a while. And I wonder if it would be interpreted that way now. I mean, Gaylord Perry, we talk about did so-and-so who's in the Hall of Fame do steroids. Gaylord Perry wrote a book called Me and the Spitter. Yep. Right? I mean, he was pretty upfront about it, and he's in the Hall of Fame, and no one really thinks much of it. I don't think spit should be considered foreign. It wasn't spit. No, he used, like, grease and shoe polish and Vaseline. If it was Nolan Ryan, though, people would have probably had a problem. Something to do about dominance versus Gaylord Perry being an amiable junk baller, even though that, that does a big discredit to his pitching abilities. But that's kind of the way his, his persona was, certainly by the late 70s. And if you were a dominant fireballer like Nolan Ryan, and you know you, you probably were thought of very differently if that was what was happening. Right. And that's why Garrett Cole is becoming the face of this. Yeah. And Trevor Bauer to some extent, yeah. And Trevor Bauer, both, and that's unfortunate. Yeah, but Trevor Bauer loves it. Cole does not, apparently. Yeah, exactly. 
Trevor Bauer is like Gary Hart. (laughs) Seriously, because Trevor Bauer is the one that really put this on the map a couple of years ago. He has a long-standing feud with Garrett Cole and the Houston Astros. Right. Going back to their UCLA days. And he was out there basically insinuating very loudly that Garrett Cole and the Astros were were doctoring baseballs all the time. And if I could doctor baseballs, you would see my spin rates go way up, but I'm not doing it. And then, you know, so he puts that out there in a huge, huge way. No one was talking about it. Well, then all of a sudden, a year or two later, his spin rates go way, way up. And everybody is very clear that Trevor Bauer is now doing what everybody else is doing. And he claims as an experiment. I mean, he's even been asked about it recently. And his answer was, well, I just want everybody to be on the same playing field. So he put it out there as an issue, pointed the figure at other people, then started doing it himself, and now is kind of getting busted to the extent anybody is getting busted. This is Gary Hart telling the paparazzi, follow me around and see if you find anything. And Gaylord Perry. I love that. And Gaylord Perry is like Bruce Babbitt. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I mean, also, I don't want to legitimate what Trevor Bauer's doing, but I always think of the situation where if you're merging onto a highway and the speed limit is 55, but the traffic's going 70, and you speed up to match the traffic, and you get pulled over, you legitimately will get a ticket for exceeding the speed limit, even if functionally you had no choice to do that. And if the competitive environment is such, and I mean, this was the argument about PEDs too, right? And I don't want to legitimate that either, but it's just another example of in the Wild West, everybody carries a gun. Which wasn't true, by the way. But maybe true now. Maybe true now. With that ruling. Steve and I could tell you about John Wesley Harden. Did Wyatt Earp tickle people at the OK Corral? <laughs> he was the law. One of the narratives that the gun movement has used to make to kind of normalize this gun ownership issue is by saying the Old West, everyone did own a gun. But the data shows they were actually were not that common. Yes, people had guns. And there were laws. There were laws on a city by city basis. And they were expensive. It was much less common than the kind of cowboy movies might suggest. Did you think you were going to learn about this on this podcast? You learn about everything on this podcast. You really do. That's why we keep it. That's why we're here. <laughs> no, it's a really great point. And guns were very expensive. And and if somebody had one, it was more likely to be the family heirloom over the fireplace. And if they needed it, it probably would have blown up on them because it was, you know, the, the blunderbuss that their pilgrim ancestors hunted bunnies with. I did a book event early in the pandemic with a guy who used to be mayor of San Francisco, Art Agnos, a very kind of progressive Democrat. And uh, behind him, and he's, you know, he's on Zoom, behind him was a gun. And I said, Art, you know, what's that gun? And it was the gun that his grandfather had used in like the Greek, some Greek conflict in the, in the 19th century, in the 1850s or something. And that when he went to Greece, the museum, they had given it to him. He killed Lord Byron. Maybe. <laughs> Isn't that where Lord Byron died in some Greek civil war? I'll talk to Mr. Agnes next time. I'm about that. That's not baseball, by the way. That's, that's literally. Although Art Agnos did uh, grow up in Springfield, Massachusetts, and was a shoe sh- worked in his father's shoeshine stand in high school when the Giants had a minor league team there. And do you know who the best tipper on that team was? No clue. Felipe Elliott. Interesting. Yet another reason that Felipe should be in the Hall of Fame. Absolutely. I was just about to Absolutely. say that. <laughs> Absolutely. Put that on his plaque. Great tipper. Yep. Yep, that's important. We talk about the, the morals flaws. I mean, how about in the other direction? I don't think Lou Gehrig was a good tipper. He had other things going for him, but he was not. What is the evidence that as you as have as for as that? <laughs> well, he grew up poor and his dad didn't work. His mom did all the work. So I'm guessing a lot of players grew up poor, but we'll leave it there. These Columbia people. <laughs> well, yeah, I think that was a different thing, right? I mean, it was more like the neighborhood institution as opposed to, you know, a $100,000 a semester kind of thing. <sighs>
We have definitely gone far afield. I think we've gone way, way beyond what anybody might be interested in hearing. <laughs> Play us out, Doc. True that. So we have come to the end of another episode of Say It Ain't Contagious. In 1935, a New Hampshire dog was given an award for continuous attendance at Girl Scout meetings. And you, too, deserve an award for continuous attendance at this episode of Say It Ain't Contagious number 22. Should you find yourself with the proverbial moment of spare, please go to the podcatcher of choice and rate, review, and subscribe. It helps the show gain attention. And you can follow us on Twitter at SIACpod. So celebrate your accomplishment, play your glass harmonica, dance a jig, play a family board game, and come back next time for another episode of Say It Ain't Contagious. We'll see you then. What's wrong with nipples? Everyone's got them. Hey, welcome to Everything Outdoors. Can I help you find anything? Hey, yeah. Can you point us to the camping gear? Sure, aisle two. Snowboarding? Just bought a new Nissan Pathfinder. It's got intelligent 4x4, and we want to hit the backcountry. Aisle 18. And the boats? Are you sure you can do all this? Up to 6,000 pounds towing, we're good to go. Oh, where's the scuba gear? Return to rugged in the all-new 2022 Nissan Pathfinder. Available intelligent 4x4 cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. Towing capability varies by configuration. See Nissan Owner's Manual for proper use. Life gets more magical when you dream. So dream of a Disney cruise filled with magic and wonder. <laughs> Hiya, pal! Sail from Florida to Disney's private island paradise and get ready for a dream come true with Disney Cruise Line.